right, what's up, everybody? Welcome to iTown in part three of this series called Next Gen. I want to take just a minute to say hello to our church family meeting in other locations. We love you so very much. Those of you who may be joining us online, whether you're at home today or traveling, welcome, welcome, of course, the correctional facilities all across the state and all the people stuck in the lobby as usual here at Olson Farms. Come on, church, let's put our hands together. Welcome each other today. So great to have you with us. Go ahead and grab something to take some notes with. If you haven't already, there's a little note sheet inside of the welcome guide we gave you. Or, of course, you could pull up the uh, iTown Church app, follow along there as you take notes. And uh, some of you who have been here for a while know I've been having a little bit of back trouble, and I absolutely refuse to stop doing CrossFit. So I'm going to sit because it, it hurts, and uh, you're sitting, so I don't know why I can't sit. If you're sitting down, why do I have to stand the whole time? That seems unfair. And uh, last week, I was in a lot of pain at the 1130 service, so I have to just pause for a minute and say, I'm sorry, Kate came back after the service. She was like, that was kind of mean, actually. You're a little rough. Are you okay? I was like, I was just in an active sweat the whole time. She was like, well, you know, it was a little, a little harsh. So I apologize for being harsh. I, said, I love you, and I was in pain. I couldn't feel my leg, and so now I'm sitting. And we're going to have a wonderful, loving, just talk about how much God loves us. We're in part three of this series called Next Gen, and this is the conclusion today. It's been a lot of fun, and Kate and I, one of the joys of our lives is raising our children. If you're new to I-Town, we have five bio kids and one that we just adopted out of foster care for a total of six. And today we're going to close out this series talking about how uh, we don't always get it right, and sometimes the kids don't turn out exactly like you want them to. And there's indications along the way sometimes that you're blowing it. And we all deal with parental guilt when that happens. And uh, I love our little three-year-old. Really, when they turn three, four years old is kind of when daddy steals them. I love to go on adventures with them. I take them everywhere. And their little personalities start to come out. And Thunder is about that age. And uh, we've been having a lot of fun together. But he's a big-time thrill seeker. And so we get along well because I like... Uh, to have thrills in life as well. But one of the things we share in common is that he really likes to go fast. I mean, the kid is like Ricky Bobby. Every time we get in the car, he's like, go fast, go fast, go fast, go faster. And so I think it's hilarious because he seems to be pretty competitive. Every time we get in the car, he's like, we're going to win. I was like, we're not really racing anybody, buddy. He's like, we're going to beat mommy. We're like leaving to go to separate places. Like, it's not really possible we can beat mommy. Mommy's going to a different location than we are going. You do understand that, right? He's like, we're still going to win. And I'm like, you're actually right. We are. We're going to win. And so then we'll get in the car, and every time we drive past somebody, he's like, go faster. Beat them. Beat them. And every time we pass a car, he goes, bye, Felicia. <laughs> The other day, he was like, go faster, go faster. And I was like, I can't go any faster or we'll go to jail. And he was like, go to jail? What do you mean? I was like, there are police officers out here. And if we go any faster than this and they catch us, we are going to go to jail. And he was like, oh, then mommy would spank us. <laughs> You're probably right, buddy. That's... So now the other day I had one of those moments because I started to slow down for a stoplight. And he was like, are we going to jail? <laughs> I was like, no, it's a red light. We don't want to die by running into oncoming traffic. It's totally fine. And I'm a failure as a father. So praise the Lord for that. Our theme verse, Psalm 133 says, look at how good and pleasing it is when families live together as one. 
something beautiful about unity in the family. We talked all throughout this series how culture is strong and churches are strong and America is strong when the family unit is strong, which is why the devil attacks our marriages. It's why he is attacking our children because he wants to do anything he can to divide the family unit. And so we have to be aware of that and able biblically to navigate the challenges that every one of us face. Week one, we started with Jesus's childhood, the only story we get. Total parenting failure by Mary and Joseph. They lost the poor kid for three days. And uh, we talked about some of the things that you and I face, that the failures of parenting and the mistakes that we make along the way, some of the things we have to be intentional about. And then last week, we picked up where we left off in week one. Luke 2.52 is the conclusion of that story that says Jesus grew in wisdom and in stature, favor with God, favor with man. Four different areas of our children's lives and really even our own lives that we have to be intentional and focused in growth. And if we can be successful in those four areas, chances are we'll raise pretty great kids. In fact, Proverbs 22 says, start them off in the right way. And then when they're old, they won't turn from it. That word start or train in some translations is that word initiate. We've got to create a passion for the things of God. We have to get them into the presence of God. We have to help them encounter the fact that it's real and to know him for themselves and understand discipline and the proper biblical worldview. And the Bible says if we'll put the work in when they're young, when they're old, they will not depart From it Today, I want to help you kind of stand on that promise because today's message is dedicated to all of you who have a child who is far from God. You know, we do everything we can to invest into our kids, but it doesn't always determine the outcome. It doesn't always mean that they'll follow the Lord their entire lives. And as we get into this, I just want to remind you of a verse that we read last weekend in Romans chapter 3. It says, there is no one righteous, not even one. That all have turned away. That there's no one who does good, not even one. And so our kids are not born righteous. They're born like all of us with a sin nature. And there is the propensity for them to rebel and to be selfish and to follow the flesh and to wander at times from the things of God. And when we hold those little babies in our hands, especially when they first come into the world, we don't ponder oftentimes, like, I wonder what addictions they'll struggle with. I wonder what pain they'll walk through. I wonder what betrayal they'll see in their lifetime. We usually spend all of our energy and all of our focus planning and dreaming and thinking about what world changers they'll become and what wonderful life that they'll have and live and what beautiful families they'll have, and yet it doesn't always work out that way. It creates a lot of pain in our lives. And some of you as parents are suffering through that pain today. You have a child that you long to see follow the Lord and to surrender to the voice of God. You know the pattern and the the path that they're on is so destructive for their future and yet you feel so powerless. What I want you to see today, jot this down if you're taking notes as we begin, is that God understands parental pain. God understands exactly what you're going through in life. Sometimes it feels like God's disconnected. It feels like God is distant. Maybe it feels like he can't relate. But I, Isaiah chapter 1 and verse 2, it says, this is the Lord speaking, I reared children and brought them up, but they have rebelled against me. The ox knows his master, but Israel does not know. My people do not understand. 
Hopefully that takes a little bit of weight off of you because you have to recognize that God was the perfect father. He set very clear boundaries and he set very clear expectations for his people. And he was so loving and so gracious and so kind. His miraculous power was available to them. And as long as they just worshipped him, everything in their life was blessed and highly favored. And yet even in light of all of that, They still wandered. They still betrayed the relationship. And so maybe today you have a child who's far from God. Or maybe it's not a child. Maybe you're not raising children. Maybe you just have a spouse who's far from God or a person that you care for. Maybe it's a sibling, a close friend, a coworker. Today we're going to talk about that path, that journey, that pain that all of us experience when we know someone who is far from God. We're going to talk about what we should do when someone we love is running from the Lord. All of this is going to be with the backdrop of a story that Jesus told in Luke chapter 15. It's one of my favorite books in the Bible, honestly, because Jesus is helping us understand the heart of the Father and the kingdom of heaven and the whole principle of lost things. Jesus came to seek and to save that which is lost. He tells two stories about items that were lost, and then he talks about a son that was lost, The items were physically lost, but the son was just relationally disconnected from the father. And it picks up in verse 11. It says, there was a man who had two sons, and the younger one said to his father, give me my share of the estate. So the father divided his property between them. Not long after that, the younger son got together all he had and set off for a distant country. So here we see this younger son who's dissatisfied and he comes to his father and he expresses his opinion. I don't any longer really want to be in this house. I feel like there's something more for me. And he sets off on this journey of self-discovery. There's a couple of things I want you to see that every one of us when we're wandering from God or rejecting our parents, there are attributes that we all have in common. The first one, jot it down if you're taking notes, is that prodigals become increasingly self-centered. See, it's a trick of the devil. And you see it pervasive in our culture today, this mentality of self-centeredness, that this narcissistic view that we're the center of our own universe, that we get to define the path for our own lives, that we can look within ourselves and decide who we want to be or who we should be. Well, that selfish worldview is the center for all sin. And this young man is increasingly selfish as he's living in his father's house. He's eating from his father's table. He's provided for because the sacrifice and the hard work of the father. He looks at his dad and he says, I want my inheritance now. That's the equivalent of saying, I wish you were dead. I want the blessings of the hard work that your sacrifice is created for me, but I don't want you. It's a very selfish worldview. And he decides, I'm going to take what I can take from this old man, and then I'm going to go live my own way. Many of us have made that decision with God. We've looked at him and said, I don't want your laws. I want your blessings. I want the gifts that you gave me when I was born, but I want to go live my own life and discover for myself the things that I want to do. I don't want accountability. I don't want the safety of Father's house. I want to go to a distant land and start my life over. 
The Bible says in James chapter 3 that where jealousy and selfishness are, there will be confusion and every kind of evil. If you really think about it, it's, it's fascinating how smart the Bible is, right? It's pretty incredible to look at the world today and the pervasiveness of selfishness and the message that we're receiving, the messages that our children are receiving. Turn the camera on yourself and make life all about yourself and look within yourself and make it all about yourself. Whatever feels good, whatever you like, whatever you want, define it for yourself. Well, in the midst of that selfishness, the Bible says is confusion, which is why people are so confused in the world today. They're confused about themselves, confused about God, just confused about everything. And the Bible says the reason why the devil loves to do that is because then it becomes a gateway for evil, becomes an opening for sin. So here's this young person. He wants to live life his own way. He's telling his dad, I want the benefits of the relationship without the relationship itself. And then the second thing that we see is that prodigals think they have all the answers. He thinks that he knows better. I'm going to go live a better life outside of Father's house. I'm going to go do it my own way. And that's kind of how we live in this world today. I'm so proud of how I do it my own way. And it's amazing how every 15, 16-year-old may look at their parents and think, I've lived an entire 15 years. I've got it all figured out. And I'm just going to go prove how outdated you are and how out of touch you are. It's amazing the older I get, how my parents get increasingly smarter. Can I get an amen in God's house? Like, wow, they actually knew what they were talking about. Pretty fascinating. Not as dumb as I thought. But unfortunately, when we're walking through it, children can get very confused and they think, I've got all the answers and my parents' generation can't relate to me and the voice of the devil is in their ear telling them, well, they never had to face your challenges. They never went through your problems. They never had your opportunities. They just don't know. And so prodigals will think, I've got all the answers. I can figure out a better way. But the Bible says in Proverbs 15, 5, a fool despises his father's instruction. Whoever heeds reproof is prudent. So if we want to be wise, we listen to the correction and the leadership of those that God has placed in our lives. But often, people who are on the journey of the prodigal do not. They think, I can find a better way. I could live a better life outside of Father's house. The sad reality is that sin and selfishness lead, the Bible says, to foolishness. That's what this verse says. And unfortunately, Romans talks about how the world would reject the things of God and become wise in their own eyes, but literally become utterly foolish. And again, that's where we're at today. I just wonder how often God laughs at us when we think we're so smart and we have figured it all out and we want to do it our own way. The reality is we're just fools. The last thing about prodigals, jot it down if you're taking notes, is that prodigals demand immediate gratification. There's no waiting. The proper and prudent thing for the young man to do would be to say, I live in Father's house. I've got provision. I've got protection. I should be here as long as I can to learn and glean as much as I can from Father because he's got this engaged Father who loves him and is providing for him. We find out later there are servants in Father's house. There's food in Father's house. Like everything this young man could ever need is right there. But instead of being patient... He said, I want your stuff for me now, and I want to go live my life now. 
And culture is always trying to bait us into that, not waiting for maturity. You can have it now. It's all right now. You should shirk all of the accountability and leadership in your life because you could go further faster if you just did it all by yourself and got out from underneath all the people that are trying to ruin your life, which is really all the people that are there that God has placed to protect us and help us. And so this young man walks the path of the prodigal. He's self-centered. He thinks he's got better answers than his dad. He sets out on a journey for immediate gratification to live the life he's always dreamed of. And it begins this downward spiral. Verse 13. He gets together all he has and sets off to a distant country. But there he squandered his wealth in wild living. He goes to Vegas. He starts to gamble. He hires himself some ladies. He gets into drugs. He's getting drunk every night. He's living it up, the party life, thinking this is the answer to all of my problems. But verse 14, after he spent everything, there was a severe famine in the entire country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to a citizen of that country who sent him to the fields to feed pigs. I think everybody here today, whether you're Far from God, you're a prodigal in this story, or you're a parent praying for your prodigal. Listen to me clearly. The path of the prodigal always leads to a pig pen. When we think we can go our own way and live our own life and push off the restraint of our parents or the leadership of God, when we think we can figure it out on our own, the reality is we will always end in a pig pen. There will come a time. Parents, that your children will hit rock bottom. It will happen. And they'll be hurting. They will need you. But oftentimes the problem is, as parents, we're hurting even worse. I talk to so many parents whose children are far from God, and they are just beating themselves up over every decision, over everything that they've done. They're rehashing their whole childhood. Maybe I was too hard on them. Maybe I didn't discipline them enough. Maybe I didn't really make God real, or maybe we could have done more devotions, or maybe it was because I wasn't following the Lord at the time, and I didn't set the right example, and and, and maybe it's because I let them play too many sports, and we were away from church, and maybe it was just because I put them in the wrong school. I let them go to the wrong party. I let them have the right friends. We got a cat. And that one you probably ought to pray about, to be honest. That really challenged your thought process there. But besides that, jot this down if you're taking notes. Parents, you can control the inputs, but your children control the outcome. We cannot control what happens to us in life, but we can control how we respond to it. And your kids have to choose right from wrong. Some of you have been saved later in life, and the same journey that brought you to the Lord is the same journey that will bring your children to the Lord. Romans says that God made creation so awe-inspiring that every person on planet Earth is without excuse. We all have to look at nature and say, there's no way that this thing happened without a designer. God's hand is on this planet. We have to stand before God for ourselves and give an account for everything that we have done in our own lives. And I think as parents, we have to understand that that's true. Young people, we thank God for praying mothers and grandmothers. But I'm just telling you, there's no praying grandmother that can pray your way into heaven. When you stand before the King of kings and the Lord of lords, you will stand alone. And you will give an account to him for how you lived your life. And grandma's not going to be there. 
And so too many young people are saying, it's all right because it'll be fine because I've got this Christian family and they're standing in the gap for me. No, the truth is you can't get to heaven on anyone else's faith. It's got to be your own relationship with the Lord. And parents, you need to let yourself off the hook. If God's children rejected him and wandered into sin, guess what? Chances are some of our kids are going to do the same. And the devil would love for you to get all beat up, full of guilt, shame, and condemnation over the mistakes in your own life to derail your own relationship with the Lord. Don't let him bait you into that. Because we have a role to play in helping our children get home, and we won't play that role if we mess this up. Now, prodigals, let me talk to you for just a minute because this verse in verse 15 gives us some insight that we need to understand in our culture It says he went and hired himself out to this citizen who sent him to the fields to feed pigs. That's very significant in Jewish culture. Doesn't mean a lot to us, but in Jewish culture, pig, pork was not the other other white meat yet. Like you're not allowed to eat pig at all. There is no such thing. It was considered an unclean animal. So as an Israelite, as a Jewish young man, he was feeding an animal that could never be killed to feed him. Jot it down this way if you're taking notes. I'm asking you today, are you feeding something that will never feed you? Because young people are pursuing the glitz and the glamour of the world, thinking, if I could just get that hit, if I could just get that high, if I could just sleep with that guy or that girl, then it's going to turn my life around. If I could just get this many followers, if I could just get to that level of success, if I could just get this bank account or that investment or that pair of kicks or those J's, my life would be amazing. And the truth is, there's nothing that you and I pursue in this life that will ever take the place of the presence and the power of God. Everything the devil has to offer outside of Father house is a counterfeit and it will always leave you empty it will always leave you wanting and you will always find yourself in a pig pen needing and wanting more because we're feeding something that can never feed us it's a trick of the devil then in verse 16 it says he longed for his stomach to be filled with the pods that the pigs were eating but no one gave him anything One more thought for the prodigal. I think in today's culture, and I address this a lot, but I pray that you hear my heart. The devil wants to convince you that you're a victim of your circumstances. You're a victim of your parents. You're a victim of your culture. You're a victim of some abuse or some trauma that you've walked through in life. And I'm not minimizing the pain. I'm not minimizing the trauma that you may have experienced in life. Maybe you had a very abusive childhood. Maybe you had horrible parents that didn't love you or support you. Maybe you have been through hell and back. But the reality is, if we believe this victimized mentality that the devil is trying to get into our subconscious, then we actually will believe that we can't move forward until someone else rescues us. If you believe that you're where you're at because of what someone else has done to you, then you'll never be free. Jot it down this way if you're taking notes. Are you waiting for someone else to fix a problem that you created? Because you may not have invited that pain or that abuse, and I'm not minimizing it, but you have decided how to respond to it. 
You did decide to get into the addiction. You did decide to wander from Father's house. You did go to Vegas, bet it all on black, and lost it all in the midst of a famine. And now you're sitting in your pig pen, and if you keep pointing fingers at everybody else and making it everyone else's fault, I'm just telling you, nobody is going to get you anything in life, and you will stay a victim, and you will die in that place, and the devil will win. That is not God's best for your life. You are more than an overcomer because of how much Jesus loves you and has given his life for you. And there's nothing in this life that you can't overcome by his power. But we can't change. We can't turn things around until we identify the fact that I may not have started this, but I certainly contributed to the path of where I'm at today. No one gave him anything. He hits rock bottom. And it gives us some principles as parents or as loved ones. What do we do when someone we love finds themselves in a pig pen? How do we reach our prodigals? Go back to verse 17. It says, when he came to his senses, he said, how many of my father's hired men have food to eat? And here I am starving to death. I'll give you four things that you need to understand. Four things we need to do for prodigals. Number one is the most important and the hardest to do. Unobstructed consequences. If you really love your kids, you won't get in the way of the consequences of their choices. The father didn't say, just get drunk in my house. Just sleep around in the basement. At least I know where you are. At least I know you're safe. It's fine. I'll call your teacher. I'll call... I'll call your boss. I'll smooth it out. I'll take care of it all. No, there's a difference between helping and enabling. Parents, listen to me today. If you prevent their pain, you will prevent their change. Because I know... It's fun when they're three to wrap them in bubble wrap and take them to the park at three o'clock in the morning with everything spongy and no other kids so that they never get hurt. Helicopter, lawnmower parents, y'all know who I'm talking about. You got the helmet and the elbow pads on the swing set. I grew up in an era that honestly I miss where we used to do the long jump contest off the swing set that was concreted in asphalt. Come on, somebody. When you broke your arm, it's like, that's what you get for being dumb. But the problem is, we, we, many of us, because our, your intentions are wonderful, I think your heart is amazing because you love your kids and you just don't want to see them in pain. I'm not saying you're a bad person. I'm just saying... If they never realize that there's pain on the other side of that, then they're not going to change their behavior. If you keep bailing them out of jail and getting them out of trouble, they are never going to starve so they never have their spiritual awakening of this is bad and I need to change. We get in the way of God's plan. This father loved his son enough to say, I'm not going to chase you. I'm not going to keep you. You have your own free will. You want to take all my money? And go blow it. I know where that leads. I'll be here when you get back. Unobstructed consequences. So here's what he did. He got up and he went to his father. But while he was a long way off, his father saw him. There's two things I think we ought to glean from this. The first one is that, uh, number two, 
Once we don't take the obstacles away and we let them get to the pig pen, in the process, we have to stand, number two, in unwavering prayer. I think we need to make sure that we stay in the spiritual battle. Yes, I'm saying you have to let them leave physically, but don't ever, ever give up on them spiritually. Always stand in the gap. Always intercede. Stay on your knees and pray because there is power in prayer, and God hears when we intercede for our kids. And you may have been praying for years and feel like it's fallen on deaf ears. No, I'm telling you that it is making a difference. You are fighting the battle in the spiritual, and eventually you'll see those prayers come to pass. Colossians chapter 1 says, we have not stopped praying for you and asking God to fill you. We pray this in order that you may live the life that's worthy of the Lord, that you may please him in every way. Well, the reality is sometimes our kids are not living a life that's pleasing to God. And so we have to stand in the gap and pray, God, touch them. God, fill them. God, rescue them. God, awaken them. And I think those are great things to do. In fact, I think it's hilarious how People, when faced in crisis, and especially parents whose kids are far from God, they've tried therapy, they've tried different things, they've tried all the boundaries, and they go, well, all we can do now is pray. As though that's like the worst thing that you can do. Like, that's not really that effective. It's like saying, well, all we can do now is go to the creator of the universe who knew them before they were born, who has the power to change everything in this life with just the words that he speaks and ask him, who loves them more than us, to help. We should probably do that first, right? Maybe we should even do that before they wander from the Father's house. Maybe every day as parents, we ought to get on our knees and cry out for our kids and pray that God surrounds them with the right friends, that God would help them encounter the presence and the power of the Lord, that they would love to be in God's house, and that they would never want the things of this world. But if we missed it, if they wander and we did everything right, all we can do is stand in the gap and pray. But that's enough because prayer works. Amen, everybody? While he was a long way off, that verse says that his father saw him. See, the thing that's fascinating about that is that they didn't have GPS. They didn't have cell phones. They couldn't track their kids back then like we do now. I can pull up my cell phone right now and tell you every place my kids are. Put homing devices on their bodies somewhere. Because we do have cell phones now. I'm, I'm tracking you. See where you are. Put this in your pocket. Because I'm going to come find you. I've got the Holy Spirit, but Apple's a good help, okay? <laughs> but the thing that's fascinating is that his father saw him. Which means in the midst of all of his busyness and all of his schedule and all of his demands, running his own house... He still found time every day to sit on his porch and look in the direction that he knew his son went. And he thought, maybe today is the day. Maybe today's the day that he comes home. Number three, as parents, we have to have unending patience. I think too many times religion catches us up in feeling like we've got to excommunicate our kids when they don't live right. We've got to bring judgment on them so that they figure out what's right and what's wrong. And I'm just here to tell you the Holy Spirit does that. 
The Holy Spirit brings convictions. I'm not saying you don't draw boundaries, because like we said before, they, they have to wind up in the pig pen one way or the other. And you can say, look, you're welcome to make that choice because you're over 18, but you're not making it in this house. And I love you, and I'll always be here for you. But that part is more important, the fact that we are open-ended in the relationship, at any point ready to reconcile. At any point, if our child turns their hearts towards us, our hearts are open towards them. We don't ever give up on them. Galatians 6 says, let us not become weary in doing good, for at the proper time we'll reap a harvest if we do not give up. I know there are parents here that have been praying for years, and you're tired of your children wandering far from God. I'm here to tell you today, it's never too late. Continue to stand in the gap. Continue to pray. Continue to fight. Don't ever give up on them, because God will never give up on them. Neither should we as parents. There's always hope if there's breath in their lungs. There's hope for their life. Don't ever give up on your kid. We're praying and we're standing in patience, believing that God's going to move, that God is going to send somebody across their path, that God is going to move and work in their life. And oftentimes you're going to see that if there is a turning point that is a catalyst by a relationship, it's often not you. It's a frustrating thing as a parent to know that sometimes we don't have the dominant voice in our children's lives as hard as we try. It aggravates me, honestly. I'm so thankful for our student ministry here. We have such a great youth ministry, and I'm so thankful for all our team that serve and all of the GO team who sacrifice. It's amazing. Our kids have an incredible time. But honestly, I get a little aggravated sometimes when they come home. They're like, oh, it's so good tonight. Pastor Adam talked about this, and it's so, it's so, such good insight, such a good point. I want to be like, I taught Pastor Adam that. I've been saying that for years. What are you talking about, Pastor Adam? <laughs> but I'm thankful they heard it from him. And I try to do that in other children's lives because I'm praying that I can sow that into other kids' lives so that God will bring it back into my kids' lives because it takes all of us speaking the truth, extending patience, standing in prayer. As we close, verse 20, one more time, while he was a long way off, his father saw him. He was filled with compassion for him. He didn't get the, I told you so. I was right all along. You could have saved yourself a lot of pain. No, his dad ran to him. He threw his arms around him and he kissed him. Number four is unconditional love. Unconditional love. See, the trickiest part of being a parent is that we have to represent God to our kids. And the Bible says that his mercies are new every morning. Great is his faithfulness. There's never a point that God has ever walked out on us or that God has ever forsaken us or that God has ever turned his back on us. It doesn't matter what religion tells you. I want you to know today, if you are a spiritual prodigal, your father in heaven is standing on the porch of heaven. He is looking in the direction of your sin and he is wondering, is today the day that my son or daughter comes home? And when you say yes, he is going to put a robe on your back and a ring on 
on your finger because you have never stopped being his child. He is going to kill the fattened calf. All of heaven is going to rejoice because what was lost has now been found. What was broken will be restored because it's never too late to live the life that God has called you to live. And that's the role that we're supposed to play as parents in our children's lives. Isaiah 30 says, but the Lord still waits for you to come to him. You know why? Because he wants to show you his love. He wants to show you his compassion. Because God is more faithful than you and I could ever imagine. With every head bowed and every eye closed, I'm going to close out this service praying for those of you who have prodigals, praying for the families of our church. But first, I just wonder how many of you today have wandered from Father's house. The devil's good at convincing us that the pain that we've experienced is somehow God's fault, that he was somehow passive or negligent or even judgmental in bringing the pain into our lives, and it pushes us far from him. I want you to know today that God didn't cause the pain that you're walking through in life but he can rescue you from it. He loves you more than you could possibly imagine. He longs to be in relationship with you. And from the moment you took your first breath, God has dreamed of the day that you would say yes to him. Doesn't matter who you are. Doesn't matter what you've done. Doesn't matter how long you have been away, what you've become addicted to, the things that you have done. God is waiting to run to you today with arms open wide. Because all he wants is a relationship with you. If that's you today, I'm not going to make you stand or come to the front. I just want to connect you with Jesus. We can do that in a simple prayer right where you're at. I would love to know that you want to be counted in, even just as a point of faith. As you cross that line in your heart, wherever you're at, in the room, out in the lobby, at one of our campuses, even watching online or at a correctional facility. If that's you today and you say, Dave, I need to come home. I'm ready for a fresh start with my heavenly father. Would you just lift your hand up high? Come on right now, all over this place. Just shoot it up high and say, I'm ready. I'm ready to pray that prayer. Yeah. Yeah, that's amazing. Great job. You can put your hands down if you haven't already. Here's what we'll do. I'm going to give you the words to pray. You can pray them quietly in your heart. You just need to mean it. Just say, Lord Jesus forgive me today for all of my sin and mistakes God I repent I pray that you would make me brand new I surrender to you thank you for dying in my place come and fill my life give me the power to live for you in Jesus name I pray now, Lord, I pray for parents who have prodigal children today. You've seen the sleepless night. You've seen all the tears they've shed. You've heard the prayers that they have prayed. God, I pray that you would encourage them, that you would strengthen them. God, that you would give them fresh hope, fresh faith, that they'd have a tenacity and an endurance to never give up because your word promises that we will reap a harvest if we just stay in the fight. Renew their passion, their intercession. Help them to continue standing in the gap for that loved one, for that child who's far from you today. 
God, we pray for our children that the devil has tried to snatch from you. We ask that you would surround them today with your presence and with your power. We pray that they would have a spiritual awakening, that they would realize that they have walked from the favor of God and the blessings of God and that there's nothing the world has to offer. Send people across their path to speak truth into their lives. And God, we pray that they would wake up and come home. God, we thank you that you're bringing reconciliation. Just as you prophesied in your word, you said in the end times, you'll turn the hearts of children to their parents, the hearts of parents to their children. Rebuild our homes. We thank you for your power that's at work in every area of our lives. God, we declare one more time our complete dependency upon you. In Jesus' name we pray. And all God's people said amen. Amen. Come on, church, would you celebrate with those who prayed that prayer today? Yeah. Thank you so much for joining iTown Church online today. We would love to have the chance to meet you and your family in person at one of our campuses. Or, of course, you can join us streaming live online this weekend. Now, for more details about times and locations and even some of our streaming options, you can go to itownchurch.com. I sure hope to see you soon. God bless. You.